The Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by GoToWebinar, web events and online meetings made easy. Visit GoToWebinar.com and start your free 30-day trial today. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Chance, and my guest today is Jason Freed. He is a co-founder of 37 Signals, that uh, company that makes great services like Basecamp, High Rise, Backpack, Campfire. But he's also now an author of a book, a tremendous book that we're going to talk about today called Rework that he wrote with uh, his partner, David Hansen. And uh, welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me, John. Good to talk to you again. So you having fun out there on the media tour? I know I'm seeing you a lot, uh, and and rightly so. This book's getting a lot of great attention. Thanks. Yeah, we're we're not doing the whole sort of traditional media tour. We're we're doing a few select speaking engagements at a few conferences, but we decided early on not to do the traditional, like you know, 20 cities in 30 nights because that just tires you out and we have a business to run also so we're kind of being very very picky about where we're talking but um, it's about to ramp up yeah well i i i think that also would sort of go against the theme of this book to do it traditional (laughs) as well so so let's you know a lot of times i like to kind of set the table with you know what's the big idea behind the title of this book the title yeah Um, you're you're obviously trying to say something about work is broken and we need to redo it yeah, well, you know, we just noticed that whenever we say we want to fix something or change something or make it better, internally we just say we got to rework this. Uh, let's rework that. Yeah. And uh, so we're like, you know, that that actually makes sense. It was for a long time, the book was actually called the working title was Unconform, which we liked for about a week and then we didn't like it anymore. And then rework it was just something that we noticed we were saying a lot and it just kind of came into my mind as a great title. So uh, that's what we went with. Would it be fair to say, um, and, and again, I talked about the, your company and some of its product services, uh, would it be safe to say that, that, well, first off, this book is a collection of essays. I mean, I think that's, that's probably a, a, a good way to set it up. But would it also be safe to say that much of what's in here has been drawn from the success and otherwise <laughs> in, in, in growing your company? Yeah, so the, the book is, is about 90 different essays on a whole bunch of topics ranging from hiring to um, productivity to getting started to figuring out what you want to do to knowing when to say yes and when to say no, et cetera. And it all comes from our experience. And, and I think that's the only thing we're qualified to write about yeah. is what we've experienced. Well, uh, and and, we've well, been doing it for 10 years, and this is, this is everything that we know. Well, and I th- what I think a lot of people probably will really respond to is it just kind of feels like you're having a chat with the reader. And I, I personally love consuming a book that way because you – Certainly, from end to end, reading this book, uh, there's there's a collective knowledge to be gained. But you could start on any page or, or any essay um, and really get something from it too. Thanks. Yeah, that was a big part of the way we wanted to write this book. Um, I have read a bunch of business books in the past, and I get about halfway through and I stop because yeah. they're too they're too long. Um, they're full of filler. Um, and I just don't find them to be that relevant after the first quarter or half of the book. So we we want to write something you could read truly in two or three hours and be done with it because you've got things to do. And that's the whole message of the book is you should be doing something, not sitting on reading books. So we want to get you in and out as quick as we can, give you some ideas, give you something to think about, and then get back to what you're doing. 
you break this book into some some chunks that we'll talk about, but you started off by uh, introducing something you call the new reality. So what, in fact, is the new reality? Well, one of the things we hear a lot is, you know, that won't work in the real world. I mean, there's a saying, everyone throws it back at you whenever you come up with something new or interesting or different. That wouldn't work in the real world. And, and, and I just think that that is such a depressing place to live is this place called the real world which really isn't a place it's more of an excuse Um, and so to to us the new reality is simply you know what do you want to do and go do it this idea that you can't do it because it won't work in some real world some other person's notion of what's possible is is, I think just a a terrible way to think so um, the new reality is just simply doing what you want to do and not worrying about what other people tell you and you know all, all great businesses and leaders and People who have actually made things happen think that way. They don't think about, I can't do it. I can't do it because someone told me I can't do it. They just don't think that helpful. Absolutely. Well, you've you've actually made my job pretty easy with this book because uh, the way it's broken up, um, I'll just grab on a couple of these topics uh, uh, of the essays and say, well, gosh, what do you mean by that? But I think that would be a good good way to give people examples of of some of your thinking. Um, Real can. You know, uh, there's a lot of collective wisdom says um, <laughs> starters to, to these uh, kinds of questions, but a lot of folks talk about getting in there and failing fast and all the all the other cliche things. You have a little different take on failure, don't you? Yeah, I don't like that advice. Um, there, there's especially in the tech world, there's a ton of advice rolling around about how you should fail early and fail often. And I mean, what kind of that is just and it's just taken as that's the way it's supposed to be. But to me, that's just the worst advice I could ever imagine failing often what, what is that about you know um, and failing fast I think is bad advice too because sometimes it takes a little bit of time to figure out if something's going to work or not and a lot of people give up on things way too early you know if they're not a millionaire overnight they're like I'm out this doesn't work you know you, some, these things take time to grow everything that's great takes time to grow um, so I'm more of a, a fan of just making small risks or taking small little steps seeing if those work and then you can figure that out pretty quickly. But to take like a big step and fail fast, I just don't, I don't buy that. Um, and also I would say that I think most of the things you can really learn that are worth learning are, are, are learning from your successes more so than your failures. Your failures teach you what not to do again. Um, but that doesn't really help you that much. When there's an infinite number of things you can do, now you're like an infinite number of things minus one. That doesn't really help you that much. What helps you is to figure out what worked out and what you can do again. What worked, why did it work? Keep repeating that. Build on your successes, not just kind of trying to skip over your failures. Yeah, I think some of that comes from this this notion. I don't know where we got it that that owning your own business and being an entrepreneur was this really hard thing that was going to suck the life out of you. And you had to brace yourself against the the storm. And I, I just think all of those sort of em- images that people think about in business, I, th- I think, almost set people up to where they feel like they have to fail before they can be successful. Yeah. I- that whole notion of the, the traditional notion of the entrepreneur is the person who takes the most risks and, you know, the really bold thinker and the big thinker and the whole thing. I just, I think that's outdated and dangerous. I, I, I think that, you know, um, it's not about how much risk you can take. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no merit badge for, for risk taking. I, I, I think you're just better off making good decisions that aren't very risky. There's lots of great decisions you can make that aren't very risky. Um, and you don't have to put your whole life savings at risk to, to build something great. You know, that whole notion needs to go away, I think. There are a lot of businesses in the online world, uh, 
are we still using Web 2.0? Is that is that is that term still around? Some people use it. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, in the, in in that whole world, the idea that that you could actually start a company that right off the bat made money was almost a foregone conclusion that 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 just didn't happen. Um, I think, and again, I haven't seen your financials, but I, I think 37 yeah. Signals sort of bucked that trend. And uh, you want to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, I mean, every other business in the world expected to make money. And not always on day one, um, but soon, you know. Uh, and if they don't, they go out of business. And, and, and so they're, they're really obsessed with making money and profits. Um, for whatever reason, though, a lot of people in the tech space, software world, aren't that interested in making money. And um, I think that's bad. I think they really ought to be interested in making money if they're running a business. That's the whole point. Um, Making your own money makes gives you like tons of options and time and and the ability to actually do what you want to do. Um, when you borrow money, you are basically setting or starting the time bomb ticking, and you don't have freedom. You think you have freedom because I got two million dollars of someone else's money. Well, that's not really freedom. Like that's stress. That's the you know the clock's gonna stop. Um, and that's not really freedom. I think it's a false freedom. The only real freedom you have is when you have your own money in the bank and your own profits, and you can make your own decisions and answer to only yourself and your customers. That's the real interesting freedom. So that's the kind of business that we've built. We've been profitable for 10 years. Ever since we started, we've been profitable, and I, I would just encourage every other business owner. I mean, it sounds ridiculous to even have to say this, but um, you got to figure out a way to make money, and, and that should be your focus, not how to spend money. And that's what happens, I think, when you go off and borrow a lot of money is, you get used to spending it, not making it. When you have to make your own, you get used to making it, and that's the right habit, I think, to find yourself in. Pick up almost any book on starting a business, and Chapter 1 will be about creating your business plan. You uh, sort of hit the business planning um, notion pretty hard, too, don't you? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the, the planning thing, mostly because you simply can't plan. I mean, plans are just guesses is really all they are. Um, and there's nothing wrong with really thinking about this stuff, but I wouldn't spend too much time writing it down. And I think if you ask just about anybody who's been in business for a while who's successful, ask them what their business plan is. And, and they'll probably go, I, I don't even know. I have no idea. Maybe yeah. it's in the garbage. Maybe it's under a bunch of boxes. I mean, if, it's so, if this thing is so important and so critical to building your business, why don't you even know where it is? <laughs> you know, so it's just one of those things that we're just kind of told to do, but... I'm not a fan of it. I think you ought to just go out and start building something and making things up as you go, figuring out as you go along. That's There's nothing at all wrong with that. Well, in that particular essay, um, and I think it was in that one, you, you talk about the idea that you're never going to know how something is – I mean, the time when you know how something's actually going to go is when you're in the middle of it. And I think that that – so, so that planning mentality, if I were going to push people, it might be more about, you know, always – I mean – Planning's not done. It's a it's a it's a process, and that right. you're, you're essentially always planning. And and I think that where people really get in trouble is when they think the forty page documents the plan. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you are always making adjustments, and you're always coming up with new things all the time. It's not. We're not suggesting you shouldn't be thinking carefully about what you're doing at all, because you you absolutely should be thinking about what you're doing. And you should know what you're doing. You should have a, a point of view and a vision for things, but you don't need to decide all that stuff on day one. That's, that's the point that we're trying yeah. to make. The, the positive buzz that 37 Signals gets and the success of your not only your model but your products, I would suggest could probably uh, interest some venture capitalists in 
really growing this thing like crazy, right? <laughs> and uh, I think again, again, I th- again, I think you have another take on growth as well, don't you? Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of interest. We've had about maybe thirty or forty venture capitalists now who who want to invest, and and I I don't kind of see the point. I mean, their 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 goal is growth, which seems to be the goal for a lot of businesses. But I think it's very healthy to stop and say, why grow? What, what's you know, we are growing, and we are growing. Well, maybe not as growing as rapidly as we could, but what extra rapid growth get us, really? Yeah. What, are we, what does it really mean? Like, I think it's super important to step back and think about these things before we just start doing them. And, and uh, a lot of businesses think growth is the end goal, and I think it's healthy just to step back and go, why? Ask why. Ask why a few times. And if you can't really come up with a good answer, maybe maybe it's not the right time for you to be growing your business because it does introduce a whole other level of complexity and headache and stress and it's just not worth it i mean so what if you can make eight percent more if you're already making enough if you're doing well what do you need eight percent more or ten percent more or really it's not that you shouldn't like i'm a capitalist i believe in making as much money as i as i reasonably can but that doesn't mean i should kill myself for another ten percent or change my whole vision or point of view for another ten percent that's not worth it so like the the This halftime break is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact helps small businesses and nonprofits build great customer relationships with email marketing, event marketing, and online surveys. Visit them today at constantcontact.com and sign up for your free 60-day trial. Like the the constant grasp for more, I think you need to really figure out why you're going for that. And I think a lot of people have a really hard time answering the why question. I think some of the best businesses, and I, I've written about this often. I mean, I think it's really it's really easy for, or easier for you to grow a business where you are the ideal customer. I mean, it's like you're making something for yourself, um, and I, and I think that that maybe you've even said that 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 in in your business uh, Basecamp, for example, was kind of created because you couldn't find a tool to do what you wanted it to do, and then you know all, all of a sudden. Hey, we have a product here, um, and, and I—I'd love your take on that. I think you titled that one "Solve Your Own Problem." Yeah, um, I do think that most of the best products that I use um, and I've seen are designed by people who use them themselves, yeah. um, because you are the best judge of the problem when you have it, and so you're the best. I think you're the best person to solve it. If, I mean, of course, you have to sort of know what you're doing in that whole. You have to have the skills to solve these problems and whatever. Um, like, I can't, I can't solve a, a big car problem, even though I have the problem because I don't know cars. But I'm not in that business. I'm yeah. sort of in the software business, so I can solve that, my own software problems. And so that's why I think we can build really good software. And I think that a lot of people who, who are focused on solving their own problems first, um, typically solve them really well, and then they put them out there in the market. And other people who have similar problems will gravitate to that because they can see careful attention to the right details when someone's solving their own problem because I don't have to I don't have to imagine what somebody else's problem is. It's really hard to imagine someone else's problem and come up with the right solution. But I can definitely feel my own problem and solve that one. So that's kind of what our approach to that whole uh, Whole, yeah, whole. I, th- I think anytime, I mean, the, the person who understands the problem the best is going to be the one who can solve it. And, and I think that, you know, how many products... Well, who has it first and yeah, then who can yeah, solve it. Yeah. yeah. You have to have it, yeah. Yeah, and yep. because I think that will Im- immediately help you have an understanding of the problem. I mean, how many products and services have been created for, for when a market didn't exist? Nobody had that problem <laughs> that you were trying to solve. Yeah, or for a market that does exist, but you imagine the problems that people actually have instead yeah. of 
really understanding them. I think most problems, um, the, the solution, the best solutions are very subtle. It's 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 a hard thing to imagine what the solution is when, but when you have it, you really know what it might be. And and it and it's it's. I'm trying to think of some good examples, but it could be something as simple as if you're talking about like a piece of hardware, like a curved edge instead of a a, um, a 90 degree angle edge or a square edge, like. That might not be something you can imagine as a solution, but when you use something and you see that this this piece catches on this thing all the time or it cuts you because it's sharp, like y- y- when you actually have that problem, when you have that cut on your arm or somewhere, then you know what the real problem is and you can solve that instead of having to imagine what the possibilities might be. Um, and we can do the same sort of thing in the software world. Obviously, we don't have the physical feedback, but you have the frustrations and the, and the time delays and the steps that you have to go through to get something done. You can really feel those problems, and we can solve those. Imagine um, anyone who has created software um, of any type has run into users who love it, but if you could just add this to it, it would be perfect. Right, right. <laughs> and, I, and I know yeah. that, that you write often about this idea of, of taking a stand and saying, hey, this product or this service is going to do this and nothing more yeah um you know our products do over time do more than they did in previous times you know but they're typically subtle adjustments and um sometimes there are a few bigger features here and there but we think it's really important to stay as focused on the core solution as possible because especially in the world of software things can get out of hand pretty quickly and uh, we've all used those products that are at version 10 already or whatever, and they're just so bloated with so many things we don't need, and they're slow, and they're confusing, and they're complicated. And maybe the people who've been using them for a decade understand them still, but new customers coming into them find them really intimidating and difficult to use. So um, when you can uh, keep something as focused as you can, you might end up losing some longtime customers because they sort of feel like they're outgrowing what you have, but as long as you can always have new customers growing into your product, I think you're in a much better position. I don't think you want to go off and chase every last customer who's ever used your product because you're going to end up building something that only they can use. And then when they go away for whatever reason, you're left with something that's so complicated that new people can't come into it anymore. And that's the real danger, I think, with adding a lot of stuff to appease existing customers. So it's a very delicate balance, and we do absolutely modify our products based on customer feedback, but you have to be very selective about it, and you have to say no to far more things than you say yes to. Yeah, so give me a couple examples of software that's gotten bloated. No, I'm just teasing you. I wouldn't make you do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, let me give you one, actually. Okay. I will give you one that, right. um, that, I, that I use a lot that's frustrating. I think a lot of people find frustrating, and that's Photoshop. Yeah. Um, for, for graphic designers, it, it's become a very frustrating product. Um, it's it's gotten slower over the years, um, which is the number one frustration. Yeah. Things have been moved around a lot, and they just keep adding more and more stuff. And it's just, you know, it's fr- really frustrating. And I know a lot of people who don't upgrade anymore because it's just it's gotten the new ones are scary. They're actually scary to use. Yeah, I and actually that's, that's unfortunate. I actually get really bummed out if I accidentally hit the icon and it launches. You know, because I'm like, oh yeah. man, that's going to take ten minutes. <laughs> I didn't mean to yeah. launch that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, you're right. Hey, you uh, sure. you talk about a couple subjects that, um, and we'll run out of time here before we get too much more done. But uh, uh, I'm going to take a couple big subjects and say, give you know, what what are your nuggets of wisdom on hiring, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like you really ought to look at hiring um, curious people. Uh, assuming their skills are, are where they need to be and whatever, you know, I, it, I think curiosity is that next 
curiosity and taste are like those next two things you really ought to look at when hiring somebody. Um, obviously, you know, they need to have the basic skill set, but having like six years of experience versus three, that doesn't really matter. You know, pe- being proficient in all these different software products and other stuff really matters. It's really about the person. Are they curious? Do they want to learn? Do they want to get better? Or do they have good taste in terms of what you consider to be good taste? Those are the important <laughs> things. And I think they should be good writers, too. Yeah, because all, all of those things are a little harder to teach than how to code, right? Yeah, they are. <laughs> and some things, you know, there's actually some debate over whether or not you can teach things like taste. Yeah. So, uh, But I think you see it when you see it, and, yeah. hope, you yeah. know, everyone's taste is different. All right, how about competitors? Uh, I think you're best off not paying attention to them at all. Really? Um, there's nothing wrong with sort of knowing who's out there, but I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about them because at the end of the day, you can't do anything about them. They're going to do what they're going to do. You're going to do what you're going to do. And all it does is lead to, like, stress and paranoia. And that's what I've found from just about everybody I've talked to who, who, who obsesses over the competition. They're stressed out. They're paranoid. They've stopped thinking for themselves. And uh, they're just chasing someone else. That's, I think, the wrong mentality. A lot of there's there's a lot of talk right now about the whole idea of of creating customer experience out of uh, out of a healthy culture, really a positive customer experience out of a healthy culture. Uh, what's your best advice on building a, a culture that that sort of matches maybe the brand of the company, or match, or at least helps move the company forward? Culture is a, a tricky one because I don't really think that they're built so much. I think that they just happen. Um, we say in the book, culture is a byproduct of consistent behavior, and, and uh, I think that's what it comes down to. So as the leader of a company, you want to set a good example, and you have to set a good example over time. You can't write down a good example um, and expect people to follow that. That doesn't work. You have to be the good example. You have to care about quality. You have to care about writing. You have to care about your product and your customers and all those things, and if you do it consistently, then that becomes the culture. But writing about it or, or saying it out loud doesn't have any impact on culture. Um, you just have to keep doing it. Well, and I think that, that for good or bad, I mean, it, it needs to be authentic, right? And, I mean, I know everybody says that, but there are so, there's so many companies that would be better off if they would stop trying to be something they're not, even if that's something, that, <laughs> something they are, you know, isn't Zappos. No doubt. No doubt about it. You're, you're spot on there. Yeah. Just be who, be who you are. Build a company that you are capable of building. And don't, you can't be somebody. You just can't be somebody else. You just can't. Like, right. it's not possible to do that. Well, not for very long. So yet. Not for very long anyway, right? Right, right. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Well, Jason, thanks so much for, uh, for visiting with me. I know that Rework can be purchased anywhere and then you've, uh, where they sell books. And I know you've also got a little... On, on 37 Signals, you have uh, some um, some great, uh, there, there's actually, we didn't even talk about this, but there's some great artwork in the book, and you've got examples of, or samples of that art, original artwork. I, are you, are you going to do anything to, to auction that off or do anything with, uh, with the artwork? We might end up uh, printing up some posters or yeah. do some other things with yeah. them. We're not sure, but we definitely would like to. But yeah, if you go to 37signals.com slash rework, you can see some examples of the art. And also you can read a few uh, sample essays from the book as well. Yeah, some videos as well. So I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we can uh, visit again soon. But uh, love the book. Great stuff. Thanks again, John. Talk to you later. All right. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast was brought to you by GoToWebinar, where you can increase your reach and have unlimited webinars for one low rate. Visit GoToWebinar.com and start your free 30-day trial today.